Alrighty, everybody. Hello and welcome to Unqualified Analysis, the show that, as always, has zero credentials but just keeps firing off those takes anyways. Happy Juneteenth if you're in the black community, specifically Texas or uh, Texas native. Galveston is where uh, the tradition of Juneteenth actually started. Stay awake, little America. Um, I hope your weekend festivities were a good time. If you're white, like your boy here, and uh, aren't exactly sure what to do in this time, that your black neighbors are celebrating freedom from your ancestors. Uh, I hope you went to and patronized some black-owned businesses or something like that. Uh, seems like the only proper way for us as, uh, as white, cisgendered Americans uh, to celebrate the Juneteenth holiday. Also, shout out to Dad. Shout out to my padre. Love that man so, so much. I had a nice long conversation with him on that day as well. Uh, yeah, you can, in fact, celebrate both. Don't need to cut your poor father out of the love fest because there's another holiday on the same day. Unless that dude was a piece of shit, which, I mean, you know, my dad was not. Was not. I'll, I'll get that out of the way right now. Get that out of the air. Um, but if your dad was a piece of shit, then by all means, go ahead and devote all your energy to the Juneteenth celebration, support, whatever it may happen to be. Especially if your hypothetical piece of shit dad is a racist, that just seems like a good way to rub salt in the wound if you got a vindictive mindset like your boy over here. But yeah, packed weekend of holidays, so uh, hope the vibes were immaculate for all of you out there, except for Deshaun Watson. He can go fuck himself. Did just settle 20 of his lawsuits, we'll get that get that right out of the way. Kind of kind of surfaced just before I started recording here, but... I mean, that's that's pretty much the gist of it. Got that news out of the way in the intro. How about that? But hey, on today's episode, we have got, I mean, pretty loaded one, quite honestly. A lot of good topics for an, an off-season episode. We've got Dan Snyder taking a rain check on Congress. Kenny Atkinson taking a rain check on moving from San Francisco to Charlotte. And Joe Biden training for the Tour de France. But before we get into any of that... Let's toss it over to Mike McClanahan to wrap up the NBA Finals for us. Take it away, Mike. The McClanahan Minute. Psych! I'm not fucking doing it today. Nah, nah. If these teams aren't going to give us a fucking good game to watch, I'm not putting in the work to make a McClanahan minute. This is my form of protest right here. This is the only way I can take back my power. Get the fucking NHL refs in there to manage the game a little bit so we can at least get some OTs and intrigue in this. I mean, the last two rounds of the playoffs, fucking awful. Just terrible. I, I refuse to devote extra time to come up with jokes and references and, you know, put in the producing effort on the, on the McClanahan mini here. No, 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 no. If they're not going to do us the common decency of putting out some good games there for me to sink my teeth into, I'm not going to put out the effort to uh, put out the McClanahan minute this week. So that's, that's, that's all you're going to get. That pretty much off my soapbox now. Anyways, now that the bitching portion of the program is out of the way, uh, let's put a bow on this NBA season, shall we? Uh, starting out with the Warriors... The Splash Brothers, plus Draymond, of course, I mean, can't can't forget him in there, have cemented their place among the greatest dynasties in NBA history. Um, Steph in these finals was 31 points per game, two steals per game, five assists per game, uh, almost 42% from three. Shit, if you exclude that awful game five he had where he had 
9, 0 for 9 for 3. I can't remember the last time Steph was 0 for. I know it was a long, long time ago. But if you exclude that game, uh, he shot an even 31 for 62, 50% if you're doing the, doing the math at home. I mean, Steph had quite possibly the greatest shooting finals in history. Even if you account for that, that, uh, that game five that he ended up having, I mean, just an all-time performance, uh, just put the capstone on this dynasty, four titles in eight seasons. And I mean, as far as like ranking among the dynasties go, I mean, no question the Warriors are an absolute dynasty. But I would say, I mean, obviously you got to put the Jordan Bulls at one. I mean, that's, you know, every time that Jordan was in the lineup and they made it to the finals, they they won that shit. That was that was 6-0. and oh. No, Nothing else to say there, man. I mean, and really the only two years, the, the only reason there was a separation between the three-peat there for Jordan's Bulls was that, you know, he went and played baseball for two years because, I mean... Say what you will about what the motivations were. I mean, it, it seemed like, I mean, he said it was it was him honoring his father. Uh, who who the hell even knows on it honestly? But whatever the case was, the only time that in Jordan's prime the Bulls didn't make the championship and win it was when he decided not to play at all. So that, that tells you just about all you need to know about that dynasty. Uh, two, got to have the Bill Russell Celtics here, man. I mean, I know some people will put uh, Showtime up here at two just because of the of what they meant to basketball. But, I mean, 10 titles, 10 straight titles at that. Just, I don't care if there was eight teams. 10 straight titles is something that, I mean, obviously, it's never going to be touched again, not with the amount of parity that, that's in there. And, I mean, ugh. and they had to go up against Wilt Chamberlain at the same time. Like, that's that's the crazy part. It's not like they were, it's not like all the eight teams were fucking pushovers. They still had to get through probably the greatest big man of all time, a guy that scored 50 points per game one season uh, to get there. So, I mean, you got to have them at two. I got Showtime Lakers at, at three just because, you know, they really did... For a while there, changed the game of basketball with the with the movement. Magic Johnson, like, putting everyone in the best position to win. Scoring a million fucking points a game. Um, that was, obviously, I mean, the five championships, obviously. That's that's the main thing here. Uh, the five championships are what really separates them from, from three and four. But after four, I mean, you'd have to say it's basically a toss-up. But the Warriors have a real argument for taking that four spot on the, the Mount Rushmore of dynasties in NBA history here. I mean, quite honestly, four championships in eight years, um, the years that they had KD added to that equation too, but even the way that they were able to bookend the titles, the first title they did it without KD, and then this past title they did it without KD. I mean, shit, things had to go in their favor, but I think, you know, things have to fall in, in favor for basically every champion that's out there. I mean, LeBron's titles, a lot of those, had he had to get some good luck along the way, and shit, he... Ended up on the shit end of that luck as well with, with the Mavericks, although that was a bit bit less of a luck play and a bit more of a, well, yeah, learning to win a championship. We'll, we'll, ju- we'll just put it that way. But uh, what particularly Steph and Clay have done over the past nine seasons is nothing short of seismic, tectonic. It's hard to understate the overall impact of those that those two have had on how the game of basketball is played overall. Uh, they were the first team to buck the old adage of live by the three, die by the three. It showed everyone in the world that this is a way that you can win, not just in regular season, but in the postseason as well. Um, not an exaggeration to say that 
Steph and Clay changed the game of basketball with their prolific success. Once the league, once they saw that you can win shooting all those jump shots and with all that movement, basically the game changed in the course of an offseason. And I mean, let me let me explain it like this. Roy Hibbert went from a two-time All-Star, I think starting for the Indiana Pacers in the 2014 season, uh, a defensive anchor in there, in fact, uh, to being obsolete in the course of one offseason. 2014, he had 10.6 points per game. Then very next season, uh, goes to the Lakers, has 5.9 points per game. Uh, then by 2018, he's out of the league entirely. And then guys like Reggie Evans as well, guys buried deeper on the roster who were able to get themselves spots on teams just based on their, their high energy, their paint presence, uh, physical play, the ability to just go in there and smack someone in the mouth. I mean, obviously the rules started to change. And now that that skill was more valued, guys like Reggie Evans, who just simply didn't have the athleticism or the skills were, I mean, he was out of the league literally the year after. The, the very next year after the Warriors won the title, Reggie Evans was never signed again to an NBA contract. I don't think that you can you can call it what it is. I don't think that's a coincidence right there. I mean, they it's it's not an exaggeration to say that these two changed everything about what people thought when building a team, building a basketball team, that is. I mean, it went from an inside-out game to, frankly, an outside-in game where you see it kind of kind of leaning back in the, in the other direction now with, with Giannis and Jokic. That's kind of a a story for another time, a discussion for another time, let's just say. But the shooting of the Splash Brothers redefined the formula for what it takes to win a championship in the modern era. No question. Over the course of the last eight, nine seasons, they absolutely changed the landscape of, of what the NBA looks like in general. Um Steve Kerr, though, deserves a lot of credit for, for his role in this in his own right, though. I mean, without his philosophical changes when he replaced Mark Jackson, this team would have never reached its full potential. I mean, people forget that sometimes. People think, I mean, Mark Jackson, give him credit where it's, where it's due. He did improve in wins every single season he was there. But let's not forget, the Warriors were a sixth seed the year before Kerr took over, and the very next season... They went from 51 wins the prior season to 67 and went from losing in the first round to knocking off the Cavs in, in the finals that year to win their first of the, uh, of the dynasty um, run here. But moving from the isolation-heavy old-school philosophy that Mark Jackson brought to the table and morphing that into this dynamic ball movement, space the floor, set off ball screens for shooters... I mean, just set all sorts of illegal screens left and right and just make the make the refs call it, basically. I mean, that type of system changed the course of, of NBA history. Literally, I mean, the Rockets kind of went full bore into it to, to kind of counter it as best as they could. I mean, the Clippers did the same thing. I mean, basically every team in the NBA, once they saw the Warriors playing the way they play with all that movement and all that shooting, shooting all of those threes and still kicking the piss out of teams, I mean, it, it changed everything. Changed absolutely everything. Opened up the game to, to where it is now, to where I think it's probably gone a little bit too far in that direction. But no no question in my mind, Steve Kerr played as pivotal a role as, as Clay and, and Steph in, in changing the game of basketball. I mean, 
without Steve Kerr, I don't think Clay and Steph have the empowerment to play that that style. If it wasn't for Steve Kerr and his schematic brilliance, I'm not sure the Warriors, I mean, maybe they win one championship under Mark Jackson, and Mark Jackson has a long storied career with them, but at the end of the day, if if Steve Kerr hadn't got there, I'm not sure stay, Clay and Steph become the Splash Brothers that we know, quite honestly. And I mean, Kerr's use of movement and floor spacing with Steph and Clay as the centerpieces, I mean, ushered in the current era of basketball, like I just said. I mean, pretty much every team since the Warriors has been trying to replicate their model of success. Um, like I like I said before, with the exception of teams built around the big men like Giannis and Jokic, that's that's where I think the next era of basketball is actually headed. Like in the next decade or so, it's going to kind of morph back around to being built around not like big bruising big men who can score the hell out of the ball like in the old era. Guys that play more of the European style where they can do just about everything. I mean, even Giannis, where he he still can't necessarily shoot at he probably will never be able to to shoot in that that high 30s range from three point range but he can do basically everything else handle the ball pass the ball I mean he can certainly get in the paint and do anything you want I mean he's really developed the mid-range game as well to where he's not just a just a paint scorer building around those guys those do everything big men that can run the offense out of the post, essentially, I think that's that's where the, the next era of the NBA is going. Kind of molding, meshing the previous era with the skills of this new class of big man that I'm not even quite sure who ushered it in over time, but I know Carl Anthony Towns was one of the first ones to do it. I've, I've derailed like a motherfucker, though. That's a, that's a whole other discussion for a whole other time. I, I, like, to, I like to look ahead like that. But sticking with looking in the past... The epoxy that held everything together through this whole entire run, I would say, Draymond Green did whatever the team needed him to do so that Steph and Clay could just go play their games. I think if Draymond played for a, a team that wasn't as good, like if he played for the Kings or something like that, I think he could have been like a 20 point a game scorer. And, you know, like seven assist type of guy, if he just had more more usage in his game when he was in his prime, I mean, he was a he was a guy that sacrificed a lot like Chris Bosh, uh, a whole lot of his game in order to fill the cracks of where Stephen Clay weren't as weren't as dazzling, you know, like he he's been among the best defensive players in the league for his entire career. He captured a defensive player of the year in the 2016, 2017 season. And he's had a damn good case to win the award basically, I mean, not every other year, but several other seasons. I mean, he anchored that unit from the inside out and essentially acted as the brain of the Warriors defense. Everybody else plugged into him and got their marching orders from what Draymond called out in that defensive side of the court. And it allowed Clay to just go out there and man up on the other team's best wing defender or wing scorer, rather. And it gave Steph the flexibility to just jump right in the passing lanes, create steals, do what he does best, and create havoc. I mean, obviously, you. I mean, it's 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 harsh to say that you're hiding Steph on defense, but he's not a guy that you want like isolated at the top of the key. He not on not on the other team's best scorer. If you put him on the second guy, that's where he can really thrive. And obviously, with what Draymond does, in short. 
he did all the intellectually intensive stuff so that Clay and Steph could go out there and just wreak absolute havoc on the game. And all of those big time defenses, I mean, Andrew Bogut did a lot of legwork too, as far as the uh, as the brain trust of of the defense, at least for the second unit, I would imagine. Uh, but a lot of those teams, you can go look back. They, in addition to having, I mean, the fucking Splash Brothers, you're always going to have a great offense when that's the 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 clay that you're working with. But look at the defenses that they had as well. They never had a bad defense in basically any year that they made a run in this entire in this entire stretch of of finals appearances and, and finals wins. So, and that's that's all just a credit to Draymond in in my opinion. And on top of all of that. He was a willing and not a bit streaky shooter. I mean, enough to where you had to guard him on the perimeter for most of his career up and up until recently when I guess, I mean, you get older, the legs start to start to give out from under you. He's not quite the shooter he once was, but his main threat on offense, he was a fantastic facilitator, basically played uh, the point forward when it came to offense. And I mean, as much as he was the brain on the Warriors defense, he's been just as crucial playing just about the same role uh, on the offensive side of the board as well. I mean, at his best, Draymond could dissect a team passing the ball. He was on—he was an on-the-court tone setter for the style that Steve Kerr was wanting his teams to play. He makes sure the ball keeps moving. He let—he sets screens. He moves guys into position for them to succeed. He just manipulates. That's a word that uh, that JJ Redick likes to use, and I like. But yeah, he essentially just made sure. Nothing got stagnant on offensive on the offensive side of the ball at, at any point. Um, really, without Draymond, I can't stress this enough, there was no championships for this team. He's not the best player in the dynasty, but in my mind, he's absolutely the most valuable. And maybe, maybe saying no championships for this team is a little bit going over the line. That if, if they it's hard to say what would have happened. I think they probably would have ended up winning at least one just with the, the Splash Brothers combo, but at the same time, Draymond provided so much for this team for so long. I I find it hard to see them having the types of defenses that they had without Draymond on the on the court. I'll just put it that way. But with all that said, all the all the honorifics put out there, it's unfortunately time to get to the the present a little bit. Uh, Bob Myers and Joe Lake have had their work. Pretty much cut out for him for this offseason. Jordan Poole is likely going to command a massive deal following his playoff success. Kevon Looney has been described by Steve Kerr as a foundational piece. That's like a direct quote right there. Uh, so he'll likely get a good size deal. I'm, I'm assuming if he's that like crucial of a piece if that Kerr says he is, I would assume they're going to give him a bit of a premium on what the market is asking. Uh, and key contributors to the championship run, Gary Payton and Otto Porter are both unrestricted free agents this year. Uh, they got a whole lot of work to do. Jordan Poole specifically is going to eat up a whole lot of cap. And that's a that's a big problem in and of itself because there's a big time dilemma as to uh, Clay Thompson and Draymond Green. Both of them have done an immense amount to elevate the franchise. I mean, got to give them all the credit in the world for that. I mean, I just gushed about them for like 10 minutes there on on end, maybe like 15 minutes. It's hard to hard to even say. Time just flies when you're having a good time, am I right? But at the moment, they're earning salaries that are vastly out of proportion with their current on-court contributions. The Warriors already have the most expensive roster in the history of the league, 
And now they're about to add to that in a big way with the pool contract. I mean, I, I find it hard to see him after the way he's played in the finals, after how he's come off the bench and been an absolute monster. I mean, I find it hard to not see him getting a max contract this offseason. Like, someone is going to offer him that. And I think that's what the Warriors are going to have to do if they want to keep Poole on the roster. I mean, Poole, if you, if, if you missed it after the NBA Finals in the, in the locker room, after it was all said and done, after the, the championship uh, trophy presentation was all done, they were, they were just celebrating back in the locker room. Um, him and Wiggins put out, a, well, basically just him with Andrew Wiggins in, in the video as well put out a video where he said, and I quote, we're about to get a bag. And uh, I would assume that getting a bag does not mean taking a hometown discount. I'll just uh, I'll just put it that way. I mean, Wiggins, uh, he's still got another year on his deal. I'm not sure he has an opt-out. I, I, have, I have no idea, I, I, quite honestly. If Wiggins was up this offseason, that would be a major problem. <laughs> That's something that, like, whoopsies, um, you're going to, you, if, if Wiggins was up, I mean, you basically have to choose, all right, which one are you going to pay, Andrew Wiggins or Jordan Poole? That would be, that would be a, a death knell as far as, like, the Warriors championship. I mean, I don't want to say death knell. That, that, that is a bit dramatic. They do have James Wiseman coming back and all that stuff, but that, that'd be a huge hit if they lost one of those guys, and i I think they're going to end up having to pay Jordan Poole here a, a, a vast amount. And in order to do that, I I find it hard to envision that they enter next season paying Clay and Draymond a combined $66 million. Some of that is going to have to be taken down and siphoned off to give to Jordan Poole in order to keep him on this team, I would, I would have to imagine. Um, it seems like something needs to happen in order for the Warriors to keep this rig rolling. Um, that, hard to say what that might be. If James Wiseman shows up as advertised next season, Draymond seems like the obvious name on the chopping block here. And that doesn't necessarily mean that he will leave the team, but something's going to have to happen, whether that be a buyout, um, a trade, or maybe maybe most likely of all he he takes a pay cut here cuz there there's no way he can go in the next season making 25 plus million almost 26 million at this point i mean it's just for the for a, the player that he is now that's not worth it that that's that's not worth it at all he's he he's done a, a great deal for the franchise i think he's earned the legacy contract but at this point if the Warriors want to keep winning, they gotta they gotta not worry about the legacy deal and make some hard decisions as far as what they're gonna do with with Draymond. Because I mean, even if they decide to trade him, I don't know who is going to take that that contract on for Draymond in the first place. It's yeah, it, it's a tough situation. They've got a lot of manipulating to do. I'm looking forward to seeing what uh, Bob Myers ends up pulling out of his ass because he always seems to do something with it. Um, Interesting to see. I mean, they're already at like three hundred fifty million of um, of salary this year. Um, if they if they increase, like, I mean, if they sign Jordan Poole, that is going to increase whether whether they 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 um, give Draymond a pay cut or not. That that's going to. I mean, Jordan Poole's contract is going to be big. <laughs> that's 
I'm here to here to break the news first. But that being said, I'm looking forward to seeing what they end up deciding to do. Moving right down the line, I mean, as for the Celtics, they got so tantalizingly close, but they just ran out of gas when they needed it most. Quite quite frankly, uh, the future from here is anything but certain with an Eastern Conference Finals. That not an Eastern Conference Finals, just an Eastern Conference. That's no longer the field of cupcakes, cupcakes that it was in 2010s. Jesus Christ, the words are words are leaving me now. Uh, I would love to say that this team will be in the finals all the time, every year after this, going on some great sort of run. But the reality is, the competition at the top of the East is better than it's been in well over a decade. That's that's the bottom line here. I mean, Giannis and the Bucks. Likely would have beat the Celtics this year if uh, if Middleton was on the court. Uh, don't don't forget that he did he did have an MCL sprain. If he was if he was on the court for that that seven game series, I mean I don't think it goes seven, and I don't think it goes the Celtics way. I'll just put it that way. Um, the Heat took the Celtics to seven as well. Uh, looked the strongest they've been since the LeBron era, and they're probably going to keep that right up on pace next year because they're bringing everybody back essentially. Um, with Jimmy Buckets at the helm, who is, I mean, talk about a guy that elevated his profile this this postseason. I mean, he fucking pulled his nuts out at a, at a certain point in that that game, game six, game seven. I mean, man, that's all that's all you can really ask for from the guy. And I mean, that's that that team is absolutely not going anywhere. Pat Riley simply will not let them at the helm. Um, then the Sixers. Put together a top top end roster on a yearly basis, and that's no exception next year with Harden coming back. I mean, he is. You talk about an albatross of a contract. Him earning forty five million next year. Whew, that's gonna hurt. That, that's that that's gonna hurt their chances of getting another shooter on the team. I mean, hey, we'll have to see if they figure it out. Ownership up there, who name escapes me. I don't I don't really know who the owners are up there, but hey, go figure it out. And on top of all that. If you thought I was done adding teams in there from the East, you were wrong. I mean, the Nets still will have KD. Who the hell knows about Kyrie? That's a story I didn't didn't get to, so I'll touch on it right here. I mean, nothing's really developed yet, so it's hard to hard to really say. But like, seems like Kyrie's going to end up leaving the Nets. Heard the from last I've heard, they're at an impasse, which makes sense because I mean, would you want Kyrie in your locker room? That's would you would you want that unstable energy on your team? Because I know I wouldn't. Uh, anyways, though, I think addition by subtraction. If you get rid of Kyrie, I mean, you get the get the salary off the books. Maybe you can add someone in there, slot them that you know fits a little bit better next to KD. Uh, I mean, they're right back in it next year, and that's all. That's just the the contenders, really. That's the that's the consensus contenders right now. That's without even mentioning the young up-and-comers like Raptors, uh, Siakam and Ananobi. Uh, I think there's another player in there that I'm that I'm even missing. But they're, I mean, with Masai Ujiri, they're just going to keep churning out talent no matter where they end up drafting. Uh, the Cavs have a dynamic young core between like Darius Garland, Lowry Markkinen, um, big man with the with the fro whose name escapes me right now. I mean, goddamn, I feel feel bad about that one. But uh, great, great paint protector. Even though I can't remember him, um, who the hell knows what they're gonna do with Kevin Love? But at the, at the same time, I mean they're at they're they're a team that should have made the playoffs this year, probably will be in the playoffs next year. 
uh, is only going to grow and give this Celtics team more problems. And on top of all that, you got the Bulls who had DeMar DeRozan playing the best basketball of his entire life last year on an MVP level for, for a lot of the season until the team kind of trailed off towards the end of the year and ultimately got cock slapped in the playoffs. But, you know, that, that'll happen. They still got a they still got a good core at their hands. I mean that you know if they can re-sign Zach Levine, which is definitely definitely not a certainty. That talk about a guy who's going to get a max contract. That guy right there. That guy is going to get fucking paid. Uh, but yeah, I mean the the moral of the story is here. Gone are the days when whatever team had LeBron was essentially going to walk to the championship. We're in an era now where the Eastern Conference is every bit as good as the Western Conference is. Now, that wasn't the case throughout the 2010s, but now there's no longer a vast talent gap between the conferences like there was before. I mean, the road for the Celtics to get back to the championship is about as rocky and filled with potholes as the average highway in a rural town of a dictatorial nation. Um, I absolutely think the Celtics will improve next year with the addition of Patrick Williams, especially. That's a guy that I... I forgot about. I just kind of heard his name mentioned on a uh, on an interview the other day. So I mean, that's big time ad back there as well. Get the Williams brothers teaming up in the middle. But I mean, with that revelation of Robert Williams, that's a guy that is he earned himself so much money in the finals. I mean, that's the one interesting thing of the entire finals to watch was Robert Williams just running and jumping on one leg and still getting three blocks per game. I mean, the guy was just otherworldly throughout the playoffs, even though he wasn't 100%. He comes back 100%, play him next to Patrick Williams. I mean, sky is the limit for this team defensively. Not to mention, I think Peyton Pritchard has enough nastiness in him to become a real force off the bench for this team. I don't know if he's ever going to end up starting. I mean, that seems like a bit of, bit of a reach goal at this point for him. But I, I don't know. Being a being a, a real six-man contender, that's not out of the question for him at this point. Not out of the question at all. But bottom line is there's three to four teams right now in the East alone that are every bit as good as the Celtics are. And that's that's on, that number's only going to grow, I think. I mean, this team will undoubtedly get better. Tatum and Brown continue to improve their games, and Ime Udoka will only get better as a coach. I mean, this was his first year as a head coach, but the competition they're surrounded by is brutal, daunting. I mean, unrelenting, to say the least. I mean, you've got the best player in the world in your conference right now, and a bunch of teams with excellent coaching and really good talent. So... I'll be watching with great interest to see just where the Celtics end up in the conference next year. Uh, I would be disappointed, but not shocked, if this ends up being the only finals appearance that this core has when it's all said and done, though. I'm just going to leave it at that. And with that, clear my throat, obviously. Great, great timing on that one. But hey, with that, that gets us done with the NBA season. Put a pin on that until free agency when everything goes mod, mod, mod insane. I'm going to need a lot of, uh, <clears throat> a lot, lot of throat clearing, obviously. Jesus Christ, I can't get the fucking phlegm out of there. But I'm going to need a, a lot of topics when we get to that point in the, uh, in the summer because your boy, well, we're, we are getting, 
we're getting right into the thick of the uh, the worst time of year to have a sports podcast when it's it's just baseball, just baseball to talk about. But with that said, I'm rambling on. No need to keep that going. Let's get into the headlines. The headlines. Leading off, we have got a bit of a change-up here. I mean, maybe not a change-up. It's kind of the same way we started it last week. But the Avs, cock-slapping the shit out of the two-time defending champs here. I mean, obviously, I wrote that headline in there on Monday afternoon before the Lightning came out and returned the flavor. Return the flavor. They just returned the flavor straight to the Avs as they mushroom-stamped them right back. I think it was 6-2 at the end of the third then. All was quiet on the Western Front in the third, or in the in the second. Then all was quiet on the Western Front in the third. Did that make any sense? Hope it didn't. Either way, uh, the Abs are fucking unbelievable. Up two one right now. Uh, swept the opening home stand um, in Colorado, singing their fucking Blink One Eighty Two and scoring eighty goals a game. Uh, but with the way they've played, I wouldn't be shocked at all if they took care of the Lightning in five at this point. Because, I mean, they're one one—they're the one team in this postseason that just looks dominant. Like, I mean, they're so fucking good that the NHL refs can't even keep their series competitive. I mean, they just keep blowing teams out, like team after team. Uh, again, put myself in quite a bind not remembering what they did in the first round. But every round after that... They have absolutely cock-slapped a team that was supposed to be competitive with them. That's that, that's the bottom line here. That's what the Lightning are up against. Um, Lightning, Lightning did look dominant in Game 3 in, in front of the, the home crowd, but they still need to do it again in Game 4 to make this a real series, in my opinion. Um, if the Avs come out in Game 4 and, and win it, go up 3-1, I mean, this series might as well be over. With that offensive firepower, it's... It's hard to see the Lightning coming back from a deficit like that. Not not with the way they've been playing in this playoff. The, the Avs look like they're on a mission right now. And again, like I've said before, I'm not a hockey expert, but the Avs have been an unstoppable force in this year's playoffs. They got the potential at any given time to get back in a game with how they score. I mean, they, they could be down 4-0, and I would say... They're not out of the game just yet. Like last night when they were down 6-2 going into the, the third period, I'd be like, hey, give them a puncher's chance. I mean, there's there's a every opportunity for them in the world to uh, come out here and ball. So, man, it's, it's incredible what they do on the ice as far as goal scoring. They've got the, the juice to reel off four plus goals in a period if they really – if they really put their mind to it and they really hit, get, hit a hot streak. Uh, if you give them room, I mean, between McKinnon, McCarr, Landeskog, Lakinen, uh, the list just goes on and on. The speed and offensive firepower is just absolutely staggering to, to see live. I mean, even, and I mean, hockey is a fast sport in general, but the thing is, man, I mean, this team is just on another level as, as far as their speed. And I mean, the way that they skate, I mean, even compared to the usual like hockey teams, they are just fast. And I think the popular thought among hockey experts was that like they would end up being slowed down by this lightning defense a little bit, just with what they have at their, their disposal. But I mean, it's, I don't think any, I think the abs come into a situation and let the, uh, 
They, they dictate the pace no matter what. They're an over-machine in whatever, whatever game they're in. I mean, sometimes that's because Darcy Kemper can't exactly keep, uh, keep the other team out of the goal. Sometimes that's because aforementioned McKinnon, McCarr, Landeskog, Lekin, and all, all the fucking guys in the crew are eating like a motherfucker. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's impressive to watch. It's staggering to see live. That being said... When you got Andre Vasilevsky between the pipes, you've got a puncher's chance. Always got a puncher's chance, my friend. If there's one goaltender in the league that could slow down the abs juggernaut uh, from taking the Stanley Cup altogether, it's Vasilevsky, man. He is quite possibly, I mean, I've heard arguments from people saying he's quite possibly the greatest goaltender of all time. Um, He's definitely the greatest goaltender in the league right now. I mean, his record in, in Game 7s and clutch time situations, superb. I mean, really, the best the best clutch time resume in the history of the NHL as far as a, a goaltender is concerned. A guy that can absolutely take over if you need him to. And the Lightning are outgunned, to say the least. Don't get me wrong. And at, the mo- at most positions on the ice, but... Anyone who's followed playoff hockey at all knows that a great goaltender can win you a championship all on their own if they get hot. I mean, you can you can go look back through the, the annals of time. I'm not going to sit here and list names because, I mean, I don't want to bore you. It's not... It's not like I don't know the names. It's that I don't want to. I don't want to just keep throwing names at you, right? It's the, It's not you. It's me. Okay. I don't want to. I. I know it. Okay. I definitely know a whole lot about hockey. But uh, the one hope I see for the Lightning in this series is if Vasilevsky plays at the very top end of his capabilities from here on out. I mean, from Game Four as long as it takes. If they if they somehow hit a hot streak. Get get this thing done in six. I mean, they're going to need him to play well every game. And if they go to seven, they're going to need him to be an absolute madman stopping pucks there in between the uh, in between the pipes. Um, he did do a great shot. Great, great shot. He did a great job. <laughs> That's definitely the same word there. He did a great job of it in game three, stopping 37 shots and not allowing a goal in the third period. But he's going to need to string together at least three more of those performances if I had to guess if the Lightning are gonna go go for that three Pete and hell if they win this one I mean hats off to them they they have absolutely cemented their legacy as one of the best dynasties in the history of hockey I know even less about this history than the um than the NBA history so I'm not even going to get into the the ranking of shit but they're I mean if they can if they can beat this abs team I mean, first off, Andre Vasilevsky goes in the Mount Rushmore of of goaltenders, I would imagine, in in the hockey experts' minds. And this Lightning team goes up in history as one of the greatest dynasties of all time. No no doubt about it. If you three-peat against these odds, I mean, hats off to you. But that being said, the odds are are long. But I'm sure there's a single... I'm not sure there's a single guy on the planet that you would want more in this situation than Andre Vasilevsky. I'm looking forward to seeing how the rest of the series unfolds. But uh, yeah, that's that's all for hockey talk for now. Let's let's move down the list. Next up, we have got Dan Snyder taking a rain check on Congress. Oh man, good old good old Dan Snyder, every commie fan's favorite NFL franchise owner. Uh, Snyder boy told Congress, "Yeah, I'm gonna be out of the office on that day in the most emphatic way possible." 
I mean, this is this is classic Dan Snyder, and I have been, I've been over it before and and kind of detailed my thoughts on Dan Snyder, my personal experiences paying fucking fifteen dollars for a cinnamon roll, a hot dog, and a fucking drink. Um, he, he's he's a fucking scumbag. I think everyone in everyone in the DC metro area knows he's a scumbag. Everyone in the NFL knows he's a scumbag. Uh, this is the most Dan Snyder move of all time. Instead of appearing, <laughs> instead of appearing to testify before the correct congressional subcommittee investigating his football team, he decided to just leave the country. <laughs> it's, just, it's like, yeah, I'm not going to be around that day. Uh, place I'm going doesn't have internet. Uh, fuck off. All right. Okay. All right. And then he just conveniently, uh, when he's scheduled to appear on Capitol Hill, just decided, fuck it, I'm a head out, dude. Just like a fucking Russian oligarch hopping on his yacht to sail across the ocean to escape sanctions and whatnot. I mean, fucking, fucking hell. Dan Snyder just outdoing himself uh, this time around. Honestly, though, I have got to respect it on a couple, couple different levels just for leaning into being a piece of shit. I mean, first off, I mean, to not only decline to testify, but to go the extra mile of leaving the the continental United States and the United States entirely, it's an all-time just blatant scumbag piece of shit move. I mean, one of the most hilarious dodge, duck, dip, dive, and dodge around the law moves I have I have ever witnessed firsthand. Um, man, this, I mean, and it goes right with, I mean, I'm not sure it necessarily helps him either. I think a lot of the people in Congress see this as, uh, more of the same behavior as why he is being investigated by Congress in the first place. Uh, namely, avoidance. Avoidance and skirting around the laws. Th- this is fucking hilarious, though. <laughs> this, I mean, I never thought that he would end up showing up to Congress anyways. And if he did, he was just going to plead the fifth, which is my second note. But, man, to do this is just... The most hilarious way this timeline could have gone. I'm I'm so grateful for this outcome. Um, second, though, like I just alluded to, the guy was going to plead the fifth for every single question, which that would have been hilarious in its own right to watch. I mean, don't don't get me wrong. I mean, watching, I mean, a guy that is basically a demon in human form, Satan incarnate in in the flesh. Uh, Jesus Christ, a, a fucking exterminator just walked by my, my fucking window, dude. That, that was, whew, that got me. That got me for a second. Didn't know that he was coming by at this point. But anyways, whoo, that fucking got me, ladies and gentlemen. You just, you just heard a little bit of panic. I wish there was video to see my face live as I just saw a guy walk by the window that I'm right next to. But, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like I, like I was saying, Watching Dan Snyder squirm and just be unhappy in front of Congress and say, I plead the fifth for every question would have been hilarious, but probably not the greatest. Alrighty, back in. I had to had to stop and let the exterminator in to go take care of some ants. Alrighty, ladies and gentlemen, but I don't don't even know where I was at. Yeah. Dan Snyder being a piece of shit. Avoiding avoiding testifying in front of Congress. What else is new? Probably the most hilarious way that Dan Snyder could have done it. Goodell, though, Roger Goodell, commissioner of the league, is, I mean, this is why he gets paid so much fucking money. He is going to testify in front of Congress. Uh, he's going to do it via Zoom so he doesn't have to sit down there in the chair of judgment and let all of the all the politicians take shots at him to kind of bolster their uh, 
bolster their credentials before their midterm elections come up. But uh, he will be there on Zoom, kind of kind of taking back the power that way. I mean, he's gonna give. I mean, it's it's gonna be a masterclass on how to how to manage PR in in a public setting. I mean, Goodell is a fucking pro. His his father was a senator. I mean, he's the commissioner of the NFL for this very reason to come out here and take these bullets. He's gonna give fifteen minute answers to each question and not reveal a goddamn thing. He's gonna talk. All in circles, saying all sorts of interesting information that has not a thing to do with what you asked him previously. I mean, it's like, he's like the souped up version of what Russell Wilson is, ultimately. Just a guy that can talk in circles, endlessly, make you feel like he really answered the question without really hitting the basis of what you really asked him in the end. I think he would, I mean... I know some people have said this. I know Pat McAfee has said this on his show, but like he could legitimately, if he decided to run for office, he would be, he would be able to, to figure out the political game fairly easily. I mean, (laughs) I, I think he is the only reason he wouldn't become a, a politician at this point is just because he doesn't want to. I mean, just because he gets paid more to be the NFL commissioner than he would in literally any job in politics. I mean, with or without lobby money. I mean, he can he can make so much more doing this job now. It's not that he couldn't be in public office. He couldn't find a way to get elected. It's that he simply does not want to. He can do the job that they do better than they do, what I would imagine, as far as saying all sorts of shit and uh, not giving any answers. That's the one thing I'm looking forward to. Uh, as well as probably seeing uh, the, I mean, there, there's a reason that Dan Snyder is never on social media or anything. But like, if there was one time for him to post on the day of the hearing, I would imagine, I mean, if he could just like post a picture of like him and his wife, like on the, on the beach somewhere in the Maldives or wherever the fuck they're going and just <laughs> like holding up the middle finger to Congress essentially, I mean, that would be that would be the bow on this whole thing right now. But we'll have to see what the investigation ultimately yields as far as legal ramifications. But for the mental health of the many commie fans I know from the DMV area, all we can hope for is that this leads to the firing of Dan Snyder. And I'll, I'll just leave it at that. Moving to the next headline, out of the football, we are going back to golf with a live update. Uh, Brooks Kepka and Abraham answer defecting to the live tour uh more are expected to follow suit as well four-time major champion brooks kepka and the 20th ranked golfer in the world abraham answer are reported to be leaving the pga to join the live golf league um answer didn't compete in the u.s open but i i assume kepka looked at the 40k just just below 40k actually that he got for finishing 55th at a major uh, versus the 120k he would earn for an identical finish at literally just a run-of-the-mill weekly, bi-weekly sort of event for the live, um, and said, "All right, all right, y'all, I'ma head out. See y'all later." And I mean, can can you blame him with that math? He would literally earn three times the amount in a conceptualize what I'm telling you right now. He would earn in a run-of-the-mill. Every week sort of event, if he finished last in every single event, 
If you finish 55th, I'm not sure what the field is. I think it's, I, I'm honestly not sure what the field is there. But he finished last in every single event. He would still make three times more money than if he fucking finished 55th in a major. I mean, can you really blame the, the players for doing the math and going with their gut on that one? I mean, these guys aren't the first. They won't be the last to jump ship after realizing just how little the PGA is paying in comparison to the Live Tour. But all the fans, players, commentators, and most importantly, the PGA Tour commissioner himself, Jay Monahan, that are playing the moral high ground here saying, oh, I had, I had friends that died in the Twin Towers. Not minimizing that. It's obviously terrible. I mean, a lot of people were, were affected by the attacks on 9-11 at the end of the day. And we all know, we all know why that's relevant in this situation. Don't need to rehash that. But playing that moral high ground and shaming players that jump ship, uh, you're simply out of touch with the reality of the situation at this point. If you keep, if you keep with that strategy, with what we've seen, as much as we'd all love to believe that kindness and good intentions rule the majority of people, that logic is in direct opposition antithetical, in fact, to the very base assumptions that capitalism is even built on. Yeah, that's right. I'm getting all fucking intellectual on you to, to explain why the PGA has to open up their fucking coffers here. Translation, I mean, as, as much as we'd all love, you know, all that stuff, translation, moral grandstanding isn't going to make this problem go away for the PGA. In fact, I'd venture to guess if they keep doing this, this ostracism and shaming strategy, uh, with no other real substantive changes to like how the tour is run, this problem is only going to metastasize. I mean, it's going to get worse, worse and worse. And if they sustain this strategy for a long period of time, PGA is actually in real danger of being cannibalized entirely, in fact, by the live. I mean, they're going to they're going to have to make some changes here. No, no. This is the only situ the only way this situation is going to play out in the PGA's favor is if they drastically change the payout structure for their events. No more zero dollar weekends for players that miss out on the cut, i.e., institute a minimum wage for players in the tours so that they don't end up in the red just for showing up to their job, essentially. Literally, I mean, there's not a job in America. I mean, I guess. I guess if you own your own business, there are days you can go in there and not make money. I, I understand. But there's if you show up to a fucking job, you don't expect to leave there with less money than you showed up with. I'll, I'll just put it that way. <laughs> like it's, it's absolutely abhorrent that the golfers are at this level and they have a chance of making negative dollars just for doing their fucking job. I mean, it's, it's, it's unreal. And on top of that... I mean, that would keep a lot of the lower level players from jumping ship just because, you know, they get $120,000 for just, they get $120,000 for just showing up. I just, just dropped my, my gator in the floor there. I got a little bit too emphatic with the hands. Sorry. I had to, had to reset there for a second, but uh, second, second foremost uh, thing on the docket here, as far as like what the PGA tour should do, got to have bigger prize pools to entice more top players to stay in the tour. I mean, it's, I mean, quite frankly, it's not feasible to match the money that, that the Live is doling out. I mean, you can thank oil money for that. I mean, we we here in America uh, contributed to that to a certain extent. Uh, but if the PGA can at least improve their financial offerings, I think more players would listen to their conscience and say, you know, 
I I I know I know that they can I know that I can make more money going over overseas and and going into the live tour, but I can still make a damn good living while you know listening to my conscience, being able to sleep well at night. And I mean, hey, you I've made it very clear I'm certainly not on the uh, on the side of people like belittling players and and saying oh how could you play and play in the moral high ground because I know. I, I feel like I understand better than better than most people around me that we are all humans and at our at our core at our very core our basic flaw is that we are selfish to a fault <laughs> even even if we don't see it that way even if that even if that sense of self is extended to family and close friends we will protect us and our own to a fault and that includes monetarily speaking uh, really monetarily speaking more than anything else. So I, I understand why players need to go over there and get their money. Brooks Kepka, I mean, that, that wedding looked fucking expensive, man. Probably going to have to pay for that in some way, shape, or form. And I mean, that, that $40,000 check from the U.S. Open just ain't cutting it. Just ain't cutting it. Um, especially with the way he's played over the past, I don't know, like a couple of years at this point. He's kind of fallen off after that big four major spurt that he had there for a little bit. Um, but hey, if he can... If he can do that overseas, he's making significantly more money. That That's the main thing. But I'm sure this is not the last time we'll touch on this subject. I'm just hoping my next update is that the PGA is actually deciding to get their, their hand, get off their hands and respond in a substantive way. Because I can't stress enough, if they don't, if they don't respond emphatically in some way, shape or form monetarily to this, it's, it's not going to be good for the PGA. See where complacency gets you if you stick with this strategy. It's, it's not going to, it's not going to end up well in the long run. And I'll just, I'll leave it at that. Moving right down the list, we have got Minka Fitzpatrick getting a Marines rucksack sized bag going for four years, 73 and a half, essentially million dollars, 36 million guaranteed nominally. Makes him the highest paid safety in league history. Obviously, the guaranteed money is nowhere close to some of the other uh, other safeties that are out there. Uh, a little bit more specifics here. We got a, uh, a signing bonus of $17.5 million. I'm pretty sure he gets all that up front, but it's distributed over the cap for the next five years. This is a $3.5 million dead cap hit uh, going forward here. Kind of amortizes over time, so to speak. Um See the cash over cap explanation I linked in the last week's episode down below. Um, not not down below in this episode. You're going to have to do a little bit of work. Go back to last week's episode. Click on that link. Listen to Andrew Brand explain what cash over cap is. Come back. Understand what I'm saying. Okay? Welcome back. Um, in practice, it's essentially a two-year $36 million deal. It's got a $624,000 roster bonus uh, for the 2022 season, which, I mean, it's... Basically, just lump that in $36.6 million uh, guaranteed over the first two years of the deal. And then kind of kind of play it by year after that. I'm assuming that they, they would restructure the contract following those first two years. But, I mean, outside of the logistics of it, I mean, for the player, you don't get a whole lot of long-term security. But, hey, $36 million guaranteed over two years, that's a hell of a salary right there. I'll take that every fucking day of the week right there. If you're offering me two years, $36 million, I mean, I'll fucking, I'll clean shitholes. I'll fucking, I mean, 
fucking shitholes in the ground and talking like people's booty holes. I'll do both for $36 million right this fucking second, dude. I mean, you can get me to do some some vile, awful shit for $36 million over two years, man. I mean, I am I am not nearly in a position to uh, to say no to such money. Yeah, you know, harken back to the conversation we just had about live. I mean, I am I am a whore, you know. It, it it is what it is. I'm kind of a whore. But as far as the football aspect of this is concerned, big signing for the Steelers. When you got so much resources devoted to the front seven, I mean, there's bound to be a hole in the roster somewhere. And for the Steelers, that gap is that cornerback definitively. With that that being the case. Having a safety like Fitzpatrick on the back end to cover up any mistakes the corners may make, absolutely a crucial thing to have. Because, I mean, up front, they do have Cam Hayward, who's probably a Hall of Famer. T.J. Watt going to walk into the Hall of Fame. Just sign Miles Jack off the street. I um, mean, the list just goes on and on and on. They, they've got a loaded front seven that can get pressure fairly consistently. Um, obviously doesn't completely solve the coverage problems in the back end by keeping Minka Fitzpatrick in place. But like the Chiefs last season with Tyron Matthew, when you've got a front seven that's consistently getting pressure like this Steelers front seven has the potential to do, all a guy like Fitzpatrick needs to do is just give them an extra second or so for the rush to get home. That's that's all they need, just a little extra second. A second in football is an eternity. I mean, you measure, you measure seconds in football in fucking dog years, essentially. I mean, it is... It is absolutely crucial. Every single second is absolutely crucial that you can get on the back end there. And, I mean, you're going to have, I mean, just by the way that the roster is built, I mean, just by just by the way the secondary is built, you're going to have some leaks here and there just because the rush won't get home all the time. But with the way this is all structured, I mean, it's it's hard to not see the Steelers at least having a serviceable defense next year. Um and as per usual, even if the Steelers don't have the most talented roster in the entire division, by a long shot at that, I mean, the, the Browns roster is, it's imposing. <laughs> it is it is a sight to behold. Bengals roster just keeps getting better, especially adding to that offensive line. But I expect the Steelers to be right in the thick of things in the AFC North come uh, come December here. I mean, it the, the kitchen is hot in the AFC North. I'll, I'll just put it that way. And I'll, I'll put a bow on that story with that that prophetic word from Mike Tomlin himself. Moving right down the list, though, we have got the Rockets trading promising young forward Christian Wood to the Dallas Mavericks. And Luka gets a legit starting center that he's been craving. I mean, the Mavs landed Wood via trade with the Houston Rockets. Ro- yeah, the Houston Rockets last week. That's the one. Um, big news for Luca as he gets an offensive piece that truly fits his skill set. What is a guy that has a long winding, he's had a long winding journey to get to where he is in the NBA, but he's been with six teams over as many years and he's really hit his stride over the last two seasons with the Rockets specifically, um, kind of started things off with that. I mean, terrible, terrible, I say Pistons team. That uh, ended up grabbing the number one overall pick and drafting um, oh what's his face that fucking uh, Kate Cunningham that's the guy fucking hell couldn't couldn't remember but uh, really from that point forward he got got some good minutes for really the first time with the Pelicans and then the next season with um, with the Pistons and then from then on he's really only stepped up his game from there I mean 
He's been a prolific rebounder over the last two seasons, grabbing 10 a game this past season and 9.6 the year before. Um, he's improved his scoring just about every season he's started. Uh, well, every season he's gotten significant playing time. I mean, the first two, three years of his career, he was playing like a solid five minutes a game. There was nothing to really be, be gleaned from there. No, no, no real place to improve as far as, far, as far as the public eye is concerned. But uh, every season since he started getting real playing time, following being traded to the Pelicans in the 2018-2019 season, uh, he's been insane. Uh, he scored 18 points per game last season, 21 points per game in the 2020-2021 season. Uh, also managed to increase his shot attempts while maintaining uh, the 50-plus percent from the field mark, which is kind of crucial if you're a center. I mean, if you're shooting below 50% as a center, I mean, I would argue that you're really not doing your job as far as like what the team is asking from you. He stayed, I mean, even with the increased shot attempts, and he's increased the shot attempts pretty significantly uh, since his time with even even the Pistons, um, it's it's incredible to see that he's kind of maintained the uh, the level of efficiency that he's had. Uh, not to mention his three point attempts is, they've doubled. They have doubled since he went to the Rockets, uh, and he's maintained the 39 percent clip just over the past over the past year. I mean, he is really really coming into his own 39 percent just over the past two years alone, and. At just 26, it feels like Wood is on the cusp of stardom, or at the very least, the very bare minimum, a long, prosperous NBA career as a major offensive contributor. The real question is, the bugaboo with all of these types of players, were his numbers as a result of, were they coming as a result of being on a bad team, a la Jordan Clarkson with the Lakers? Or is Christian Wood a legit star in the making here? I mean, that won't be known until the rubber meets the road. At, at But at like 6'9", uh, having the ability to defend and space the floor, he's a tantalizing piece to play at center with Luka running the point. That's, that's for damn sure. Um, Dwight Powell's an excellent defensive piece for the Mavericks, and I think he'd be a great... Uh, He'd be a great defensive anchor on the second unit, but he simply doesn't bring the offensive tools that 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 Christian Wood brings to the table. I mean, it's just just simply not possible for him. Honestly, with Wood's size at 6'9 and his shooting ability, there may be room for both of them in the starting lineup. Uh, if Wood takes Dorian Finney-Smith's spot at, at power forward, he provides a lot of the, the same same qualities that Dory, Dorian Finney-Smith does with even, even a little bit extra to offer, I would say. So, I mean, maybe you can fit both of those guys in there, but if it's if you got to pick between Wood and Dwight Powell, if Wood lives up to uh, lives up to billing in this trade, I mean, this is exactly the type of big man that that fits Luca best. So, I mean, you got to go with Wood in this situation. He's at once both a player that Luca can run pick and roll with while presenting a credible threat on the pick and pop as well, and he's the guy that can space the floor and grab rebounds any he, when he's playing off the ball as well. I mean, he's a guy. He's a perfect type of, I mean, role player, cusp third option. I mean, he plays like the the Draymond Green, the maybe not Draymond Green level of defense, but like the Chris Bosh type of role. A guy that can step in and be like a great a great third option. Um, make no mistake about it. I don't think he's necessarily he's necessarily the be all end all to their to their their problems here on offense, but. The impact of injecting that type of player into the offense, I mean, it could not be understated. Um, a lack of offensive options is what ultimately ended up sinking them in the playoffs 
this year. And Woods certainly isn't going to be the the solution, like I said, but by not by himself, anyways. But he might be the key that ultimately unlocks the offense once more weapons are added. So <clears throat> keep an eye on that. I think he's going to absolutely thrive alongside Luca. And really watch out for the Mavs going forward here. I mean, the West is every bit as loaded as the East is. Not not going to be a fucking cakewalk for the Warriors on the other side, too. That being said, breezing right through these stories here, let us move on to, I believe, the last sports story on the docket here. I mean, we are, we are blowing right through this. An hour in already. I mean, the time just flies when you're having a good time, ladies and gentlemen. Um, Kenny Atkinson, though, decided to stay with the Warriors after initially being reported as the next head coach for, um, for the Charlotte Hornets straight up here. I don't see how else you can see the situation. Kenny Atkinson looked up. He, He initially had the offer in front of his face. He looked up and looked around, saw Miles Bridges on one side, smoking a blunt while sipping perp on his IG live. And then... Looked to the other side, saw Montrez Harrell running three pounds of weed across state lines and just said, you know what? I'm good. I'm gonna I'm just gonna stick with a champion here. And honestly, kind of a shame too, because after seeing what Atkinson did with the, the pre-KD nets, you're gonna have to go back far in the go back far in the memory banks here to, to a time before KD and Kyrie were were running the damn place over there. But uh, I think he would have been a slam dunk coach to usher in the next phase of development for the young core in Charlotte. I mean, it, it, we'll, we'll get into it in a second, but I mean, Miles Bridges might not it might not have been there. But I mean, LaMelo Ball specifically, I think he really would have benefited from the developmental skills that Atkinson brings to the table. I mean, he is a guy that, if nothing else, I mean, he. I don't know if Atkinson is necessarily the guy that can get you over the hump, but I think he's a guy that, for what LaMelo Ball is at this stage of his career, for how raw for how raw he is, I think as a developmental coach, he would have been absolutely perfect for this team. I, as, as terrible as it is to say about a man, I mean, this is a man's job and a man's livelihood we're talking about, but at the same time, he would have been a great placeholder coach. I mean, there's no other way to put it. I mean, he would have been a great three, four-year type of guy, put the team in a position to be consistently getting four or five seeds in in the playoffs, but you need another guy to kind of put you over the edge. He would have put you in that position fairly consistently, I think. But I'm guessing either A, MJ lowballed him on the contract, whether that be through years or money. B, he caught wind that Hornets were hesitant to match Miles Miles Bridges' offer sheet because, you know, you know, smoking a blunt and sipping purple on, on social media. Or C, he saw all that in unison and said, dude, I'm just going to stay with a fucking champion. This is way too much goddamn headache right here. Uh, whatever the case, I'm disappointed for Lamella Ball's sake, but happy for Kenny Atkinson that he can ha- that he has the clarity of vision to know a shit show when he sees one in front of his face. When he can when he can whiff that shit show, he I mean he, he says no to it. I got to respect the hell of that. That's a skill that we should all strive to master in our lives, quite frankly. And I mean, as a DoorDash driver, I practice that shit on a, on a daily basis. I'll tell you what, if I walk into a restaurant and I, specifically like a fast food restaurant, like a, like a Taco Bell or a, or a McDonald's or something, and I see fucking 
pandemonium behind the counter. I see a line out out, out the fucking ass at the front counter. I see people waiting for orders out the ass. Um, there's a good chance that I'm going to recognize the shit show that I see and uh, get the fuck out of town. That's, that's, that's the main thing. And that's essentially what Kenny Atkinson just did with Charlotte. And I mean, on top of all of the, like, the team drama I just mentioned, I mean, moving from San Francisco to Charlotte is a tough sell in my book for, for a lot of different reasons. I mean, obviously over, over a certain income level, I mean, it, it, it makes a little bit less difference. I mean, obviously Charlotte is much less expensive than San Francisco, but as far as a quality of life is concerned, I feel like moving, moving out of California is a tough tough sell for just about anyone but hey that that brings us right to the end of the podcast basically we are done with the sports headlines now to wrap it all up <laughs> oh man this is this is one of my favorite ones i've done in a while but get a load of this shit get a load of this shit that's right everybody it is the time that you have probably all been waiting for since you heard <laughs> since you heard it mentioned in the opening but joe biden is uniting the nation, ladies and gentlemen. Usually I've got a news article or something. I usually have to scour through the internet to, to figure out what I want to put in the uh, get a load of this shit segment. But sometimes, sometimes you just see something and think, yup, gotta talk about that one. Gotta throw it into the podcast. And the president of this great nation provided just that over the weekend, man. Let, let me tell you what, uh, I'm sure all of you have seen the video at this point because it was literally everywhere when it hit the internet. But for those of you who haven't seen it yet, one, I envy that you get to experience this for the first time because it was it was truly one of the funniest things I've seen in quite a long time. I mean one of the one of the greatest like handshake meme moments, the internet coming together and just having a time, just laughing their ass off at this. I mean it just it warmed my heart to go see. So I, I highly, highly encourage that. And two Go watch that shit right this second, then come back to this show because it is, it is one of the greatest. It's it's one of the greatest videos to hit the internet in quite some time. I mean, I might be, I might be hyping this thing up way too much. I mean, I probably am, but I mean, it is one of the funniest things I've seen in quite some time. And if you're too lazy to go find it right quick, I understand. That would probably be me, me as well in your shoes. So let me let me give you a quick rundown of what happened. I mean. I want to laugh, but just saying, just assuming that you want to laugh would be a little presumptuous. So let's let's get let's get into the meat of what actually happened here. Uh, Joe Biden was riding a bike, Huffy Nut Harley, uh, in some sort of race event. Don't know what the fuck. I I don't know, man. It's like one of those like NFL play sixty sort of things where it's like you get a politician riding, fucking encouraging people to go outside and be active, whatnot. I don't know, man. He's just, he's just getting pork in the head. Uh, maybe not pork isn't the right term, but he's just getting good, good cred ahead of the midterm elections, quite, quite honestly. He just, he's just massaging the system. We all know what's happening, but I digress on that front. Um, honestly, I got zero, zero clue what the event was, but it went 100% does not matter for the story. Um, obviously, it's designed so that at one point in the riding route, they have all the press set up for a photo op, a quick statement from Pat Paul Bidey, uh, so he can just seamlessly ride out of the pack and slickly come to a stop and dismount right in front of the media, be all cool, 
uh, show that at 79 years old, he can still fucking be active and all that shit. Dude wanted to look cool. Gotta respect it, quite honestly. I mean, there's few things that feel better than hitting a sick stop, stop on your bike and just dismounting seamlessly with an audience to watch, especially if that audience has cameras. I mean, and if you can make it look kind of natural, which I guess they did, but I mean, it was pretty... I mean, if you got a trained eye, that was that was quite, quite, a, quite a script you had going there. But that being said, the first part of the equation went as planned, but once old 46 came to a stop... It became clear that the momentum, uh, the the M in the E equals MC squared, was not on Obidey's side here. Uh, his foot got caught in one of the pedals as he was attempting his dismount. And in a moment that captivated the entire internet, Joe Biden, the 46th president of the United States, fell over flat on his face with his bike in front of the entire media congregation. And, I mean... I haven't seen, I assume that there's more video after, but the video just cuts as soon as he like falls over. I mean, it's pretty, I mean, it's pretty disappointing to not see him struggle to get up. I mean, I, it it would be a lot, it would be less funny if he actually got hurt, but knowing that he didn't get hurt, it would be a lot, it, it would be a lot funnier if we saw the whole video of like an old man trying to disentangle his legs from the bike and just get up. But I said it on Twitter after I saw this video, but I will, I will reiterate it here because it is a message worth putting out there. If your reaction to this video is anything, and I mean anything but laughter, you need to reevaluate your priorities right this fucking second. And I'm talking left, right, white, black, gay, straight, everybody should be able to find a laugh in a sitting president trying to look cool and failing spectacularly in the process. All without Tom Segurying himself too in the process. I mean, if you know, you know. Supercharged up political people always talk about being united, coming together. Oh, the the left is dividing us. The right is dividing us. You know, they're all fucking working against us. This is the one thing that can bring us all together, I think. If we can't all bond over an old man, an old politician that no one particularly loves, even if they voted for him, by the way, uh, falling in public, this country is truly doomed. It's truly a failed state if we can't all come together to laugh at an old bag in office that none of us particularly love in the first place. So, I mean, keep America great, build back better, shut the fuck up and laugh with each other. And with that said, uh, I think that's just about all for this week's episode of Unqualified Analysis. If you enjoyed, subscribe and leave a five-star rating so we can grow this bad boy. If you didn't, just keep removing my guy and or girl. I mean, I feel like my my audience is kind of geared towards the uh, the male end of the spectrum, but eh, who's to say? Uh, but like, you know, tell people it was good anyways if you didn't like it. I mean, it's, you know, what, what do you have to gain by knocking me down a peg other than, I guess, like self-esteem points for yourself? But I digress. Uh, episodes are released every Wednesday, once a week through the offseason. We'll be back to twice a week uploads when the football season is back in full swing this fall. I cannot wait to work my ass off. Uh, follow me on all my social medias at Caleb Verzak. Link will be in the description so you don't have to spell my fucked up Eastern Block name. Um, if you want to contact the show, first off, you can probably DM me on Twitter. I mean, I think I keep my DMs open. I'm going to make a habit of continuing to do that. Hey, if you're a lady, slide in there. If you're a subscriber, slide in there too. I'm just trying to just trying to get people on the program here. Either way, if you don't feel like shooting me a DM... Shoot me an email at unqualifiedanalysis at gmail.com. Just put business or show in all caps to start the subject line so you can be categorized accordingly. 
Uh, that's about it. Thank you all for tuning in to Unqualified Analysis. And as always, I've got no clue what I'm talking about. I'll tell you what, finishing recording this early in the day, not quite sure what to do with the rest of my day. So see you later.